Another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yeah, we have a kind of a thin holiday roster here. It's Aaron and I. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> I haven't been called thin for quite some time. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I'm not even going to let you follow up on that. Merry <laughs> Christmas. Happy New Year. Kwanzaa-licious. I don't even know what Kwanzaa is, but happy Hanukkah. Yeah, 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 and and uh, all of that to you. Thank you. It's a it's a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Has it been? Did it snow at all for you? Did you get any whiteness? Uh, we got some. There was a, a, some real excitement here on uh, Sunday night in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, flo- uh, snow flurries were reported. I didn't <laughs> actually didn't see, see any. any. I didn't actually see any. No. So there was a reportedly white Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but other parts of the country right now are just buried under snow. My hometown up in northern New York is just inundated with, I don't know, know, five, six feet of snow. Really? It is bitterly cold here today. Down in the 20s, I about froze to death when I went out this morning for my morning cup of coffee and to meet with my Silas. But uh, Christmas was wonderful. How was it out there? Uh, Have the wildfires near you uh, been extinguished yet? I, you know I don't watch the news. I don't know. But last last I heard, because Dane grew up in Ojai, just outside yeah, of Ventura. Sure, yeah. So his mom and sister were evacuated, yeah. uh, and they're back. So basically everybody I know that was affected is back, and their houses yeah. didn't burn down. So, But that was a good you know two and a half hours from us. Oh, okay. So we had, yeah. we had no fires. I spoke with uh, friends from Ojai just a few a uh, few days ago. They called me when they made it back uh, home, and that's Tom Mocha trying to reach me here as we we're talking. He's in the car driving back from Chicago. He went up to see his mom for the holidays. Uh, yeah, we, I, we, we I was watching. A, we could have had a live call in. You should answer. And oh well. Oh, there you go. I paid closer attention to the fires than you did, apparently, Aaron. Absolutely, because uh, I, I was watching the fire. Maps. I was concerned for my friends in Ojai because the the town was literally surrounded by fire. Yeah, that was the weird part. Was when I asked uh, Dane, his mom and sister went to Santa Barbara the mm-hmm. first time they were yeah. evacuated. Then they went back. Then they got evacuated again. But by then they couldn't leave either north or south, so they all had to go to a gym uh, wow. because they just couldn't get anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. my friends from Ojai were up close to you. They were up in Pismo. They just kept trying to escape, escape the the smoke. Well, I'm glad. Uh, that but any, they got out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there is something about those catastrophic events. Uh, we have good friends who's who had a house fire, just lost the house a few weeks ago. Wow, unexpectedly gone. There is something about catastrophic catastrophic events like that that clarifies. Uh, priorities, doesn't it? And tells us what's important and what isn't. It does. It And it is amazing that we don't learn those lessons, that we need to have them repeated. I know yeah. when I sit with uh, folks who are dying, it's a similar deal. 
It always reminds me of so many things that are obvious. Like at any point I could Mm -hmm. summon those thoughts and yet I don't have them until I'm sitting with someone in their last hours of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I'll forget them again. Yeah. Uh, it, me it, too. It amazes me, you know, talking with my friends who escaped with really nothing but their clothes and the smell of smoke. Um, and, uh, and, and they are so grateful to be alive and so clear on what's important in life and what isn't. Wasn't, and, wh- wasn't God hmm? clear about this? I mean, you look at how he, we've got the Old Testament where God's establishing his law, his, this is, this is my nation, I'm leading. And it gives us right, these, right. these nice pictures of yeah. God's heart in a lot of ways. And he establishes these festivals at, at minor intervals. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of feasts throughout the year and every one right. of them is to remember something, to remember something. So is that not a glimpse into God knowing how incredibly forgetful we are? And, yeah, and yeah. why communion given to us, why the Eucharist is made of common elements that as often as you eat them, which is like, we're supposed to be having communion every day mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're that forgetful. Yeah. And that's certainly true of uh, recovery meetings for me. It's why I keep going back to Samson after all these years, because um, I am constantly being reminded of things that I know but I forgot. It's amazing to me how uh, how quickly after a clarifying moment, a catastrophic clarifying moment, when, when it's suddenly blindingly obvious to me that much of what I've paid attention to is inconsequential and a waste of time, how quickly I slip back into the trance. And before I know it, I am once again preoccupied with secondary things, blind to what's truly important. Uh, I'm grateful for the clarification I do get in conversations like this one and in meetings like the ones we both attend. Uh, and, and you know what? I'm grateful, too, for uh, the catas- uh, you know, the, those painful events that bring us into recovery. Uh, I was just on a newcomer meeting this morning, a virtual newcomer meeting. We'll talk about that later, uh, where I got to do what I enjoy most, which is have conversations with guys, at least some of the the guys in this meeting, on the very front end of recovery, where they have just been slapped hard with reality, and it looks like the world is coming to an end. And uh, the marriage, if they're married, is dangling by a thread. Or... um, Selfishly, I enjoy the I, I, I enjoy those conversations because they remind me of what I so easily forget. But also, we can in those times talk honestly about ultimate things in ways that it's difficult to do later on when it seems like we've got our feet under us yeah. and life is coming back together. Yeah, yeah. I think about I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but. Uh, when I, I took our friend from Malaysia to the airport early in the morning during the Samson recharge weekend, and he was talking about rock bottom mm-hmm. and his definition of rock bottom that he had picked up somewhere in his travels was rock bottom is the place where you stop going down and start going up. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated that because I've worked with so many people that I think, oh, this must be rock bottom. 
They're about yeah. to go to jail now. That's got to be rock bottom. No, nope, right, right. it's actually going to, they're going to find a new level of low in jail and bring that back out of jail. <laughs> like it's, it's mind blowing. And, and I'm always judging what must be. But there's other yeah. people that barely go down underwater at all. And, and right when their feet hit that cold water, they start going up. Yeah, so yeah. rock bottom is not a fixed point. It's just yeah. the place where you stop going down and start coming up. But I think there's encouragement in that, that rock bottom can be any time for any of us yeah. with anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what they told me early in recovery was very, very helpful. They said, bottom, bottom is when you stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There you go. That's even more personal responsibility put on that one. <laughs> Yeah. Put your shovel down. <laughs> Stop freaking digging. There's no gold down there. Uh, it there is no gold. Well, all of this will relate some to uh, to what we're going to talk about later. But you asked how was Christmas in in the new yeah. house, and it was. Uh, it's been a strange Christmas because of some traumas that have been going on, uh, coming from different angles. But the day itself was really nice. My parents were here. We got to take, a, it was their first day hanging out here in the country where we're at. and mm-hmm. Took a nice walk and the, it was just a beautiful day in the mid-70s. Just, just a great... Oh, really? Yeah. Was, Mid-70s? Yeah. I, was, I am jealous. I was, I was disappointed because I lit a fire because we have a cool fire thing. It's not a fireplace. It's a fire freestanding thingy that has a name mm-hmm. to be sure. And I'm sure Benjamin Franklin had something to do with it, but uh, <laughs> I had lit that in the morning. Cause my parents don't have a real fireplace. They have a gas one and all that. Mm-hmm. So I lit it for them, but they didn't get there till nine. So I kept it going with all this Oak wood. And by the time they got there, I was dying. <laughs> so I, I had all the windows and doors open and the fire going. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Damn it. We're going to have the, that ambience, we're going to have the ambience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, it's also strange that our youngest son is coming up on 11. So this is one of the last years we at least had a few child gifts. But other than that, with all three, the other three, it was mm-hmm. just a little less toy filled. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was books and clothes and, and, uh, Tech, technological products, Bluetooth headphones, and the and such. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. less fun. Well, soon you'll be at our stage of life, and you'll be a grandparent, and you get to do the kid thing all over again. I, I was, uh, we we did Christmas at my daughter's place, and she's got, uh, you know, she's got kids, twins, eight years old, and special needs girl, eleven, and that's prime toy territory right there. That's perfect, and it's in the new and, house. The yeah. historical house. And I, and I, when I started wrapping presents on Christmas Eve, there just seemed like an awful lot of presents. Because <laughs> we've been buying for a while, you know, yeah. and they, we, we kind of wound up having this, you know, magical closet that kept disgorging <laughs> gifts. And I had to go out and buy more paper, and then I could barely fit them all in the trunk. And. <laughs> Well, it's, it's because they get so cheap again. Like the kids, at my kid's age, there is nothing cheaper than 60 to $150 that they want. Right. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. once you get back down to, oh, I can buy this little princess figure for 4 to $6, holy That's crap, right, let's yeah. buy 50 of them. 
that's right. Uh, yes, and I think we did. I think uh, <laughs> every princess uh, ever created uh, was represented under the tree on Christmas. And your Day. and your grandson is very disappointed. <laughs> Yeah. No, he's got his. Yeah, he's got his action figures oh, too. Good. They're not princesses, yeah. Grandpa. No, why no, did no. you give me another princess? They're just so <laughs> damn cheap, man. <laughs> I had to buy another one for you. Here, put an army helmet on her. There you go. <laughs> well, brother, uh, Christmas is over. We are cruising into the new year. Time for all kinds of resolutions. And uh, what, what do you think about resolutions? You must have some some opinions on this. Are they uh, resolution? Are they yeah. helpful? Is it helpful to have a time of year that you make a bunch of promises? No, I don't think so. I don't. I think if 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 I think New Year is a good time to surrender again, uh, to surrender more deeply, uh, to recognize what I have been trying to control or regain control of, where I've stepped back and grabbed the wheel in my own life. And I'm resolutely driving toward the cliff. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think the the best resolution on New Year's is to surrender again. So what... To Christ and to the body of Christ. Okay, so what is... Because surrender can, for some people, look the exact same as resolution. Surrendering mm-hmm. is making promises. So what's the difference between making New Year's a time of reflective evaluation versus resolution? What What is yeah. practically the difference? Well, I, you know, I, I think when, you know, for me, uh, for years and years and years, New Year's was the time to get a new planner, to set uh, uh, new goals, uh, to promised myself that I was going to be more disciplined in several areas, uh, to make a list of the things that I would not do, to assign a schedule for myself. And, you know, I was exhausted within the first week. And then what would uh, inevitably follow was shame, disappointment, despair. Uh, I was on that cycle for years and years and years and years and years. Which is, let's point out, the danger of making promises is twofold. Right. You either fail, which is most likely, and go into a shame cycle, which gets a lot of right. triggering and permission right. to act out, or uh, yeah. you succeed and you're filled with the self-righteous religious pride that you can do it without Christ anyways, which uh, is yeah, no more yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah. So I do think it's almost like a Passover thing where let's remember uh, that we have been delivered from Egypt. It's a, it's a, New Year's is a good time for me to stop and remember the darkness uh, of my years of slavery and how completely uh, dominated I was. I had no choices in those days. And, um, and I had no hope. And to kind of commemorate my deliverance <laughs> and then... Um, and to remember all the ways that God has provided for Allie and me throughout the years. Uh, in our case, he has given us the miracle that he doesn't give to every couple. We've actually stayed together. And our marriage has grown rich in ways I never imagined. Uh, he has also brought us back from the brink of financial ruin. And um, he has preserved our family. He's preserved our health several times as we've grown older. So um, 
And, uh, you know, back in the day, I always used to have two or three million dollar ideas in my back pocket. And I was always working on a way to save myself or make myself significant. Um, and, um, you know, my, my, my better prayer these days uh, is really encapsulated in the last stage of the path that we read every week in Samson Society. So each day I ask God for the grace to seek His kingdom rather than my own, to serve those He places in my path uh, rather than serving myself. And I find that as I surrender to that, remarkable things do happen. Uh, we'll wind up going places and doing things that I had not planned, and God's vision becomes clearer. Uh, but it's all about surrendering to, to his leadership and, um, uh, you know, his plans rather than mine. I think it's it's actually encouraging in a strange backwards way <clears throat> that you bring up the Passover and the remembering of Egypt because I immediately think of those f- first generations in the promised land. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're delivered They've entered into the promise of God. Yeah. End of story. New triumph. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're, no. They're going to return to bondage in the promised land. They're no yeah. longer in Egypt, but they will return to a kind of slavery to other gods. I mean, the whole book of Judges, every generation, you know, they're following after some other gods, some other thing. Uh, yeah. Pretty much until they come back from the captivity, they're going to be back and forth, putting themselves in bondage in the promised land. And so yeah. they must remember what it looked like to be free, because they have to be free again. Yeah. So yeah. I think to not get discouraged when when we find ourselves in bondage again, and we know that we should have known better, and yes. that we know we've been put in the promised land by the person and work of Christ, why would we be in slavery again? Well, okay, God gave us like a thousand-year lesson on this that <laughs> yeah, we can continue back, and we need to remember what it looked like for God's awesome power to rescue us, for God to yeah. show up and beat the crap out of the most powerful king in the world and yeah, say, yeah, now, come yeah. with me. I'm, I'm dragging you back, kicking and screaming to the promised land. Mm. There it is, you know, and I, I think this story of deliverance gets told over and over with every generation uh, because all of us willingly make our way into slavery. All of us have to be delivered. And in Christ, there's not a damn lock on a single door or chain. There you go. <laughs> Take them off. There you go. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with a mini-meeting, if that is okay with you and the cat licking itself directly behind your right shoulder. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's a PETA, spelled P-I-T-A. That's an acronym for pain in the... But if you ass. cut her in half, you can put some lunch meats and lettuce in her, that's, and it tastes delicious. Oh God, don't even... Come on. All right. <laughs> oh, I got to tell you, on that note, Santa brought uh, my 15-year-old a game that I had never heard of. We got we got a lot of games for the family, so probably half the gifts were labeled family. 
But okay. I, I specifically gave the 15-year-old a uh, evidently popular card game called Exploding Kittens. That oh, yes. We have played Exploding Kittens. Yes. I, I haven't. Is it fun? Uh, it's kind of strange. My grandkids love it. Oh, good. Well, my, yeah. my 12-year-old daughter that loves animals uh, would not stop <laughs> glaring at me, even though Santa brought it. Uh, <laughs> even while she was opening her next gift, her eyes were fixed on me. <laughs> so I don't know how to play the game, but I just pictured uh, PETA losing, and that would be bad. All right, we'll be right That's back right. here on the uh, Exploding Kittens edition of the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are going to have a mini, mini meeting. Uh, you know, I, I had hoped that I would have time this morning before the meeting started to go down, downtown and grab somebody off the street, drag them in here and invite them to a mini meeting. I just did not have time. Well, Duke. the first one that he grabbed off the street had nothing good to offer. They just kept yelling, help, help, call the police. <laughs> yeah. And that didn't seem like good mini-meeting uh, protocol at all. Right, right. So it's just you and I and our listeners. And unfortunately, we can't hear what they say. But we're going to have a mini-meeting. We are. Uh, uh, well, here we go. You're in charge. Go ahead. Welcome to this meeting of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We are also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding the freedom in truth. Natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weakness. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. We have now reached the sharing portion of our mini-meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experiences. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest, strictest confidence. confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them towards any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic today is... Martyrdom. Martyrdom. <laughs> But we are not confined to that subject. You may speak about any issue that's currently commanding your attention. Martyrdom. There you go. Uh, hey, I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. I saw martyr martyrdom on the subject list, and I don't remember ever having a meeting about uh, with that as the topic, so I thought, why not? 
Why well, I'll uh, take one for the team. Why not? <laughs> that was crosstalk. That's illegal. Yes, it is. Um, you know, we talked earlier about our ability to suppress reality, ignore reality, and one of the realities that I ignore on a regular basis is the the plight of believers in other parts of the world where it is uh, a crime and sometimes a capital crime to be a Christian. And uh, I know that there are brothers and sisters of ours who are under siege right now, uh, facing you know, death either by car bombs in the Middle East or you know, just the sudden arrival of an execution squad. Uh, those facing prison or enduring uh, social ostracism in China. I at least have had some experience there. Um, <clears throat> but what amazes me is my own ability to think of myself as a martyr and uh, how quickly I can go down uh, a destructive path when I do. Um, you know, I have the privilege very often of listening to guys you know, newcomers just coming into recovery and they come with their story. They come with uh, the debacle. They've been found out um, and now it's time to come clean. Although like me, the first time I told my story, I, I told an incomplete story. I, I told what had been discovered. Uh, I was careful really not to incriminate myself any more than I was already uh, you know, under indictment. But um, I prefaced my confession with a long story that explained why I did what I did. And it was a story that I've been telling myself and in a way been telling others for a very long time. Uh, it, a martyrdom story, really about how unfair life is has been to me and the tragedy that I'm endure. Uh, and I really had come to believe that, you know, I even, you know, I blamed my wife for my sexual behavior in some ways because she hadn't met my expectations or fulfilled what I understood to be the biblical obligations of wifehood in ways that I, I wanted. I, I didn't speak all of that, but I felt it. And it's kind of like this this um, soup of self-pity that I, this pot that I'd been stirring for a very, very long time, uh, you know, seasoned with resentment, um, it gave me license. It entitled me in some ways, at least excused, more than explained, excused the the choices that I was making. And I, I wanted to make sure when I told my story that people understood what a martyr I am. Uh, and I've noticed that almost everybody, when they come to tell their story, begins with the backstory. And what we don't recognize, what I certainly didn't recognize in the beginning, was how much that backstory that I had embraced, that I'd focused on, um, that placed so much responsibility on other people and that focused on tragedy um, was actually 
feeding my addiction and keeping me willingly in the prison that I had constructed for myself. Um, so I'm not saying that we have not endured trauma. If there's one thing I found it is common in the life of every sex addict, at least, is trauma. Trauma lies at the heart of addiction. And we need healing, and we do need to tell those stories. It is true that we have been hurt, and we need to learn how to experience and express hurt. For me, that's one of the uh, fundamental skills of recovery, getting connected with that fundamental emotion and being able to express it. Um, But one of the ways that, you know, I didn't want to feel my hurt, so instead I would talk about it. I'm back in uh, uh, counseling these days with a very skilled uh, kind of spiritual director, a guide, who really has challenged me exactly with this. He said, you can tell stories about your hurt. And he's not using these terms, but those are really my martyrdom tales. He said, it's easy to talk about it. Um, But have you been willing to enter into the hurt, to feel it, to live it, and to process it? Um, Rather than try to handle it by talking about it and then medicate the pain by some kind of acting out. So um, I do remember, I guess I've told this story before, I do remember a 12-step meeting early on where, uh, you know, a guy was yammering on and on about his martyrdom tale, his self-story, you know, his, 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 his story of self-pity. And at one point, a veteran in the group broke protocol and, um, <laughs> and interrupted him and said, Hey, uh, would you please climb down from the cross? We need the wood. Uh, so, anyway, there are there are my thoughts on on martyrdom. I would like to think of myself as a martyr, but I really am not one, and it's dangerous for me to put myself in that category. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. I am Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Uh, I I echo a. a great deal of what you said, which makes me think that probably this martyrdom uh, complex must be a more common excuse for bad behavior than uh, (laughs) I I would like to or have thought. Uh, But I, I think it goes to two places in my mind. When you said martyrdom uh, as the topic the first thought was exactly the same in that it's my favorite excuse to indulge myself or be selfish or indulge the flesh. So my favorite excuse, because nobody can touch me if I have a good enough martyr story. Mm-hmm. We can all admit or I can admit and sell the idea that it's, it's legitimate, 
that the wrong I've done is less than the wrong that's been done to me. And as long as the scale tips in that way, nobody can keep the noose around my neck. It'll slip off. But the first thought, that wasn't my first thought, actually. My first thought when you said the topic was Fox's Book of Martyrs. Mm. Um, There are a number of things from my childhood that, upon reflection, seem strange to me. One of those is that Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, I received it, I believe, for Christmas. I don't know why, because I think I was seven. Wow. And that's a strange book for a seven-year-old to get. But by, like, eight, nine, ten, that book and Run, Baby, Run by Nikki Cruz were my favorite two books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, neither of which are appropriate to the eight, nine, and ten-year-old audience. Right. But but I loved Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I would just read through because there were all these short stories of of these martyrs throughout history, and it was grouped in different historical epochs, as it were. Um, I just loved it. I loved these stories of heroes who faced the ultimate terror and, and pain and. And did it with so much amazing faith and grace and humility and forgiveness. So that was my first thought. When you said martyrs, boom, my brain goes back and I see the cover of that well-read book. Mm -hmm. So the second thought being that martyrdom is my best ironclad excuse for bullshit Mm. is ironic. Because I loved the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Because they had every excuse, but they chose self-sacrifice instead of self-indulgence. And I, I guess putting those two thoughts together makes me feel like, what a fool. How is it that I can love something for its beauty so much while betraying the very nature of the word by my own consistent behavior throughout my life? If there's any truth to my martyr's story, then shouldn't that be the impetus for self-sacrifice and not self-indulgence? If God built me with the passion, and we, I know God has a passion for this, because when I read Revelation and it talks about you know, this, uh, the martyrs and just the beauty it is before God, of these people that have sacrificed, I think I'm built in the image of God with this kind of awe for those that choose self-sacrifice in the face of martyrdom instead of self-indulgence or self-preservation. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a weird thought um, to me. Kind of a sobering, a little bit of a sad thought because I think I've wasted some of my martyrdom on myself yeah. when it could have been the beautiful story for others my family, my kids. That's all I have to say about that. Thanks, Aaron. Well, there it is, our abbreviated mini-meeting. And we'll be back in just a moment here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. To pull the boy up from the water. Hallelujah. 
from the bank There was a new suit of clothes From his father And a prayer of thanks A boy walked barefooted All the way home for dinner And when they laughed at his muddy feet He said, I've been through the water and come out clean. And I got new clothes to cover me. And you don't wear your old shoes on your brand new feet. When you've been through the water. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are, we're in it deep now. We're at <laughs> least at the four and a half foot uh, level of the pool, and we all know that's when it starts yeah. sloping more steeply. Uh, so moving towards the diving board, today we are talking about children and about parenting and about pain. Mm. Uh so Nate, you and I are on two two different journeys at this point uh, on this topic. Yeah, yeah. You you've mentioned that you're getting ready for a walk in England with your daughter. She wants to talk through some stuff that maybe has not been discussed before, and she also would like it to be kind of a book to help other people understand. Mm. So you've been working on a proposal. I mean, this is a that's a weird construct, by the way. Yeah, you know, it's hard enough. Uh, I'm dealing with some some issues with family members right now revolving around our having to move out of our house. And I can't even get people to talk in any form other than texting. And I keep thinking, <laughs> what? come on, this is not that hard. Now, you guys have gone past, you've scheduled when the talk will be, what it's about, and there's a book proposal. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Does, well, more, so, than, more than that, Aaron, we're, we're meeting every week. The talking has started now. And... Uh, and I've also uh, started therapy again. Uh, so I'm talking with, uh, you know, a, a good spiritual guide on a weekly basis. And I've been talking with relatives about my own childhood, uh, all in preparation for the big talk with my daughter. Which, by the way, uh, the, 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 the venue actually is going to be Ireland rather than England. That was our, oh, okay. that was our first choice. We, we said Ireland, then we switched it to England, and then I had a good talk with my friend Ian Cron, and he said, why don't you walk in Ireland? So I think that's what we're going to do. Hey, at least the Irish finally won something yeah. over England. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I reached the conclusion that my daughter has daddy issues because I have daddy issues. Um. And so I, I've been working to write. My problem is that I'm looking at all of these issues in the rearview mirror. My dad's been dead now for seven years. And I disconnected yeah. from him emotionally a very long time ago uh, when I left home. And uh, only now, as a father and as a grandfather, am I beginning to identify with what he must have felt as I left home 
and left him. I was so focused on myself and my own plans and my own resentments, my own dreams, and uh, you know the hurts that I had experienced from my father and then those that I projected on him, that I really... Uh, and my dad was not one to wear his feelings on his sleeve or to burden anybody else with them. Only now am I, am I starting to gain some appreciation and sympathy for what he was going through. And when he watched, you know, I'm the first of 10, so as he watched child after child leave the house. And, um, you know, all of, us have to, all of us have to gain our independence from our parents. We do have to separate. It's, we become very sick if we don't and really can't have a healthy marriage if we don't separate. You know, leave father and mother and cleave to the wife, right. as, uh, as the Bible says. Well, I, I've never, I mean, just you saying that, because I remember early on talking with you about your dad. I remember yeah. when your dad was sick and when he passed away and the kind of conflicting emotions yeah. that were going on with, you know, true grief and then confusion over why should I grieve? Yeah. Here's all these stories of pain. But even when you say that, it, your story of your mom and your dad have always been completely disconnected for me. Like they're two different stories. Mm-hmm. This is the first moment that I thought, wait a minute, what was it like for a guy with 10 children to live with a wife struggling with mental illness Mm -hmm. who takes her own life? Yeah. Like that is such an, just that sentence has so much sadness in it. Yeah. For me. Yeah. But as the kid, you, you know, I, I certainly watch I could be having a horrible, painful week, not able to pay bills and all that pressure. And what my kids see is dad's just a grumpy, you mm-hmm. know, bastard. Right. Um, and and sometimes I just, it's a very high value for me to be understood. Mm-hmm. I don't care if anyone agrees. I just want to be understood. How much of that thought, I mean, I'm sure you've thought of all those things far more than I have. I don't spend as much time thinking about you and your dad as I ought to, and I apologize. <laughs> but I expect you really to. Uh, I expect it to dominate your thinking here. <laughs> but I mean that that thought just struck yeah. me as I realized I've never put those two things in the same story. Mm-hmm. So what have you been? You know, you said you're finding new areas to have more compassion for your dad's story. Yeah. How does that all fit in? That's intense. Yeah, it really is intense stuff. And, uh, you know, the greater revelation is that, uh, as my therapist put it, uh, you didn't fall from the tree of your dad, you fell from the tree of your mom. So, uh, to find, you know... What does that that mean? Oh, man. It sounds deep. Oh, man, it's a big story. It's a big story. So, you know, so I have this very deep... uh, connection, emotional connection with a mother who disappeared from our lives when I was young. And um, and my dad loved my mom and, uh, and, and loved me, but we were very, very different. And so that also kind of set us up for this conflict. Uh, the things that my father enjoyed, I didn't enjoy. The things he was good at, I wasn't good at. And uh, vice versa, I have lots of interests that my father never appreciated or understood, and I had skills that he didn't have. Now, he did give me gifts that I'm very, very grateful for. One of them is the ability to stand up in front of a room and talk. And he also gave me a good work ethic. But I now, in these conversations, have come to see that um, 
you know, I have a deep con- emotional connections with my parents, which will never be erased, um, and which, uh, you know, I-, I like to think of myself as this free and independent adult person. Uh, and it is true that I am 61 years old and a father and a grandfather, but as we've said before on this podcast, I'm also 51 and 41 and 31 and 21 and 11 hmm. and 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And it's those younger versions of me who uh, I... Uh, it, it, and it's amazing to me how my relationship with my parents and the difficulties there then... Also, sometimes in mirror image, uh, when I was determined to be the opposite of my father, I wasn't different from him. I was just uh, a reverse image, uh, which was no better. How, in order to improve my relationships with my own kids, I need to look back and see what I can do about my relationship with my parents, both of whom are gone from this life. That's deep stuff, man. Yeah, the the beauty to me, um, you know, I spend most of my week doing soul architecture with people. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, I, I don't, I don't call it counseling. We just try to practically apply the gospel to all the nooks and crannies of brokenness. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's our only tool, right? I, um, but the beauty is. Abba theology, how I view God as dad, which mm-hmm. we talked about at the Colorado retreat, yeah. is foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I you know, come from a church where God is this angry uh, fire and brimstone God yeah. first, then my view of him as father will be consistent with that. He'll be angry and always like the hammer's always going to drop. Um the key to a lot of the key to all dad wounds is discovering God as the perfect father. Mm. But I also have to put in that God is an incorporeal being. He's neither man nor woman. Mm -hmm. And in Genesis one, he creates, he says, let us create man in our own image, both male and female. He created them. So the general picture of creation is that men and women are co-image bearers. And even when, what was it, Peter writes about man was made in the image and glory of God and woman in the gl- from the glory of man. It's not women were created from the image of men. That's mm-hmm. not possible because she was created in the image of God. And so in that way, everything that's good and beautiful about mothers is an image of God as well. Yes, and I think we forget that God is the perfect mother as much as he's the perfect father. Yes. And he's also the answer to our mother wounds. Yeah. 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 I know that sounds, that sounds crazy and liberal. God is a woman. What am I rewriting the shack here? <laughs> and yet yeah. it is the most base. Everybody, no matter what version of theology, the most conservative, the most liberal, the most Pentecostal, all agree that scripture 
is using anthropomorphic words mm-hmm. when God is called a he or a father. Mm-hmm. And he also protects us with his feathers and his wings and longs to gather us like a mother hen or gather Jerusalem, gather the Jews, a mother hen gathers her chicks. These are yeah. all just words to help us understand the heart of a God that is neither man nor woman, but right. we are his creation. Yeah. Okay, go on. I just had to insert that with your, your dual counseling thing. By the way, I also love that your counselor works so hard to secure your confidentiality, but you come on the podcast and say everything that's talked about. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I guess I'm an exhibitionist when it comes down to it. I'm grateful that that never worked into my, my sexual acting out. But uh, You're an emotional exhibitionist. Yeah, maybe oh, that's it. But... Maybe that's it. Uh, no, it's not. You just care about the people who are listening, and you want them to, uh, you know, only a fool learns from their own mistakes. A right. wise person learns from the mistakes or the journey of others. Yeah, so. <laughs> there you go. I like to think that is really why I do it. So um, Okay, so, yeah, so now, now bring, bring all that into your deal with your daughter now. So you're understanding your relationship with your parents and how that affected you. Right. And, and also, I... Oh, I hate pop psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I might hate it because their cliches become cliches because there's a lot of truth in a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they're just made by you know popular agreement on a stupid idea, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are real. And yeah. when uh, let's see, how do I make this vague? Uh, somebody that I care about deeply was going to counseling. And the counselor said, well, when you've been wounded by parents, your emotional development stops there. This is the arrested development. Mm -hmm. And you keep trying to look for love to fill that gap. Yeah. So with this particular person, they had been really hurt or between like 10 and 12 was when they realized how neglected they were. Mm -hmm. And so in all their relationships, they kept trying to get the love of a parent Mm -hmm. loving them as like an 11 year old. Right. And the counselor said, but you're not 11. You're never going to, it's inappropriate to ask other people to love you like they're your parent. That's Mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in your marriage. You can't demand that of your children. Right. You need to grieve the loss that you didn't get that love. And you need to start entering into loving relationships as uh, the person was in their forties. And, I thought, geez, that sounds like such cheesy pop psychology. But man, it's so true when you look at, you know, the pains you went through, the ages you were at, sure. and how you tried to fill that version of being loved yeah. in so many other relationships. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm now having uh, conversations in retrospect with my daughter about. Her childhood, and and you know, we get a little deeper into it every week, and she's drawing her own lines and uh, making her own new choices. Uh, but you're in the thick of it, brother. You got kids that are still at home, Wait, and you're in the dad you, chair. What? Okay, but before you transition, I have to ask. You're like you're cheating on this walk you're going to have with the conversation because you're having all these like locker room meetings about the conversation. How's this going to affect? <laughs> Because I was really looking forward to the spontaneous, oh crap, she asked that or said that. That was I was really looking forward 
to your uh, discomfort and surprise. Now, what? How, how is this going to affect this walk? I don't know. We will have to see. We will have to see how it unfolds. I still think, uh, to use the metaphor you opened this section of the podcast with, I still think we're in the shallow end of the pool. I don't think we're at the four and a half foot uh, mark yet, but we're headed toward the diving board. Uh, so you're I just di- you're dip you're dipping toes, going, oh my gosh, that water's cold. Do I just want to really make jump in. I just want to make sure we can swim when we get there. Uh, I don't I don't want to drown in Ireland. So that's the thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking swimming. I'm learning to float. I have a swimming instructor. I'm getting comfortable with the water. Oh, I love this metaphor, man. That's uh, and and Jesus is your inflatable arm floaties. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's right. Okay. Now can we transition to you, Aaron? Oh, fine. Yeah. Okay. So your kids are still at home. You haven't had any of them. Uh, even Samuel hasn't left home yet. No, but we are trying to uh, finish a shed in the backyard for him to live in. That's close. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> We're going to put him in a shed next to the chicken coop in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a, that, that, that's a good transitional uh, housing arrangement, I think. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And, well, and I would, I would add to that that two of them, uh, I, I, I feel very, very fortunate and very blessed that I spent really 15 years uh, full-time dealing with birth through preschoolers, running programs for elementary school kids, Mm -hmm. doing uh, junior high and senior high youth group, and then running a a college ministry in a big university town. Yeah. So I, I felt like going into kids, I had more experience to draw from. Mm-hmm. than just about any parent could ever ask for. I'd seen every, not every, I'd seen a lot of kinds of kids and adolescents and young adults. Right. Um, so I, being me, had uh, formed pretty tight philosophies for how I was going to do <laughs> the parenting thing. Right. Uh, which, as every parent with grown-up kids knows, doesn't really change <laughs> much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I will also say that the the theme of parenting for me, as the theme of a lot of my life, is discovering that control is an illusion. Mm. That you you don't, uh, I don't have control of anything. But yeah. I will try to exercise as much forethought and planning to make myself feel like I have some control. Yeah. So the piece of advice that I really took to heart, which I know I've mentioned before, was understanding the stages of kids, which is like zero to four or five. It's about discipline and consistency, mm-hmm. that they're not sophisticated enough to understand philosophically why the answer is no, you can't, but just here's the boundary in our family. You can't do that. And if you break that rule, you're going to get a timeout. You're going to get a whatever. Here's the consequence. Then once they hit those elementary school years, you know, four or five to like 10, 11, 12, they ask that annoying question, why constantly? 
mm-hmm. and that I, I need to answer that because now they know where the boundaries are, but they're trying to understand why the boundaries there. And that was important to me because I would get so sick of hearing, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? And I wanted to say, because dad said so, because I'm the dad. You just do what I say. Yeah. But I needed to not do that. I needed to say, okay, number one, you need to obey first. But why is a legitimate question, and there's a right time for that. Mm-hmm. And then to explain the whys. But then once they get into the junior high years, and especially the high school years, they think they're smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the vast majority. Uh, it's it's the old Mark Twain quote where I'm going to kill the ages on this, but I, th- I think he said basically, I left home when I was 16. I think he was 16 because my father was the most ignorant person I had ever known. I returned home when I was 21 and was amazed at how much the old man had learned in only five years. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. You know, we hit that age where we have to believe or we choose to believe that we know so much. And that was always the painful part of doing college ministry. It drove me crazy that the college students would get like a book and they're like, now I understand God. I just got Grudem's systematic theology and now I know it all. You know, as, as an adult that is in their own surrender of that kind of arrogant knowledge, Mm -hmm. it was kind of painful to watch. And the greatest lesson I wanted for those college students was just to believe that they didn't know what they didn't know yet. Yeah. So there are huge holes, but they can't know where the hole is or else they would know how to fill it. Yeah. So with my kids, um, added to that some some great conversations with people like Art DeArmond that really studied uh, men's initiation, mm-hmm. right? That, that every culture, uh, most cultures throughout history have a very specific place that they say you go through this rite or ritual and and manhood, adulthood is conferred to you. Yeah. And your mom's going to call you by a different name. You're going to get treated differently by the, the village or the tribe. And we don't have that. We just have this prolonged adolescent period where we treat them like kids and they act like kids, but we want them to take some responsibility as an adult, but we've, we haven't conferred that on them. Right. So... I have tried uh, with my kids that have reached the age to basically say, okay, you know, at around 16 or so, I'm, I'm going to confer that you're an adult. I'm not going to tell you what to do or not to do. I can be a coach next to you. I can give you counsel and advice, and I hope you come to me for it. But you are now responsible for whatever that decision is. So if you want to go to your girlfriend's on Christmas and not be with your family, there will be emotional consequences you're going to have to deal with, with your mom or with me. But you're going to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have two kids at that age of transition, one that's kind of almost all the way out of it. Um, And my desire for doing that was that they would get to practice being an adult while still living at home. Right. And we we said the one rule is love. If you are acting unloving towards the people in your family, I'm going to call you on that. And I'm going to come down on you like like the patriarch. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, if you're not breaking that rule, if you're just being kind of selfish, I'm going to let you be selfish. If you're being kind of stupid, I'm going to let you be stupid. Um, 
and then we can talk about it afterwards. So my two oldest are very different in going through that transition and they've both gone through very different journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, every, every kid's job is to break their parents' heart at least once, but usually more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I try to accept that, that there's, there's no way out of that. Yeah. Um, so wow. yeah, we've gone through a really hard month um, yeah. with one of my kids in that transition where uh, accepting how out of control I am of their choices in this part of their journey is just, you know, it's, it's nauseating. I spent yeah. most of the last month feeling like I just wanted to throw up mm-hmm. because surrendering that control hurts so much yeah. and trusting God with that, with their journey uh, it's just it was so is so hard yeah. trusting God that I love their heart and I love them so deeply and asking God to guard their heart so that they don't lose themselves mm. is the hardest thing yeah. yeah so yeah that's well, that's where we're at I'll tell you what that I was like. a, that that was a lot less about the story and more about the my philosophy behind getting to the place of just utter pain. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tell you how I'd like to like to end this episode, Aaron. Um, as a lot of our listeners know, you're among your many talents. You are a songwriter, and uh, I do know because we're friends that at one point in the last uh, in the last month. Uh, you sat down and in the space of just a, an hour or two, uh, you kind of put this pain and frustration into a song. If it's okay with you, I think I'd like to close by playing that. It might be a gift to another parent out there. In the yeah. mean, it, 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 yeah, I'll, and I will, uh, I will say that this was uh, within 24 hours of of kind of the beginning of of realizing I was at that hard letting go stage and yeah. I and I knew I needed to communicate this to the child. Yeah. <laughs> and I I felt like this uh, they they needed to hear it in song form because mm-hmm. songs are so you know you got to say what you're going to say in 3 minutes. Yeah. And probably my my bigger uh, one of my bigger faults as a parent is I like to sit down and have long conversations with the kids. Yeah. And there's certain times that's just the dumbest thing to do. <laughs> and so I needed to write what I was feeling Yeah, and I needed to express it in, you know, three and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, so I really didn't want to. This is a very begrudging song if we're going to put it on here. And it's just a rough recording of my thoughts in two hours. So uh, songwriters and producers don't don't write in. Um, but yeah, we can, we can put that up. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute in the Pirate Monk Podcast. Little boy. 
And I watched that little boy dream Someday he'll run He'll run away from me And I watched that little boy grow up tall He grew taller now than me Long legs to run To find a destiny What I'd give to guide the next two steps What I'd give to hold him in this love But no one asked and I don't know how Little boys left here Sealed boxes full of toys Just shoes to run Run to light and noise And I watched that young man sit alone And I long for him to see There's always a road Slip away Keep him close And guard his heart He's my son Father of life Guide his steps And keep him close Please guard his heart We are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, I, I hope some of the conversation about our journeys and parenting gave some uh, encouragement. <laughs> it doesn't. Nothing feels encouraging to me right now, so that just felt like a downer to me. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm I'm sure over the years we'll I'll get to be more explicit. Uh, my my child asked to not be a cautionary tale uh and so i try to guard their story the best i can sure. while still being honest that's that's rough go. yeah other people's stories are their stories but mine's wrapped up in it come on so my vagueness was not uh for the sake of uh hiding man i wish i could be totally specific about everything yeah. but i i got a child in the mix so so screw you all 
I'm protecting them first. Now just remember, <laughs> what happens in vagueness stays in vagueness. <laughs> uh, that, that felt like a censure against me. What's going on here? <laughs> no, 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 no. I appreciate your sensitivity toward your child. <laughs> so anyways, uh, you have started doing some newcomer meetings in these in this virtual world. Yeah. So just to remind people, we're we're having online meetings starting, but to get in on online meetings. So no matter where you are, we're hoping that every day of the week or at least 5 days of the week there'll be a meeting that you can go to online. But to get in on that, you have to go to a newcomer's meeting, kind of learn how it works. Get all your information in. Uh, and so those newcomer meetings have started. How many have you done? Uh, actually, we have done three. Uh, the, first one, the first one I did just on a whim. We only gave about a two-hour notice to the meeting, and we had two guys jump on. One of them was in England, and one of them was in Canada. Had a great meeting. Uh, the second one, uh, we gave some more notice a few days. We did that around noon central time. We had 14 guys join the meeting from everywhere from uh, you know, Hawaii to Thailand, all, all everywhere in the middle. Had a great meeting. And I just did one this now, morning. Hmm? Now, this is, this is important and relevant information because I didn't hear about any of those meetings. Yeah. So how, how is the word getting out? All we do is post on the website at samsonsociety.com that there are, uh, when you scroll down, it says join a virtual meeting, and there'll be a a virtual meeting, uh, uh, kind of an icon there, and a link that says uh, send me an invite. If you click on that link, then you can get an invitation. Uh, You'll get an emailed invitation with a link that will get you into the newcomer meeting. And to do that, you also have to download the Zoom app, right? Right. If you don't have Zoom already on your phone, laptop, or tablet, it takes a minute to download it. So give yourself an extra minute when you sign on. Uh, but that yeah, enables and it's and it's free. It's free and it's great technology. So it, it amazes me that we were able to actually, you know, we could break into smaller breakout rooms. We can have honest conversations from people who are on different continents. Uh, and there we can be reminded how we are all so very much alike. Now, when you sign up for this, do you have to give personal information? And, and no. is that you don't okay. have to. You don't have to give personal information to come to the newcomer meeting. At the end of the newcomer meeting, if you decide that Samson Society is for you, and if the person hosting the meeting decides that you're Samson material, this really is. It's kind of a mutual interview, kind of a date. Uh, then uh, you can submit your personal information by chat or by email, and we let you in the door, and you then become a member. And once you're a member, then you can attend other virtual meetings. You can see where all the meetings are. You can activate the Samson app that will make it possible for you to interact with anybody you've been in a meeting with and even ask them through the app to be your Silas and initiate the kind of daily conversation we want. Okay, so two obvious questions that I would have if I was given my personal information was, what's what's happening with that personal information? Why do you need my social security number and bank account information? What's going on? Yeah, we we don't need that. We don't need that. No, this is all of this is uh, it's uh, all of it is encrypted and secure, Um, but we have to know how to get a hold of you. So we we ask for your first and last name. 
We ask for your email address. Uh, we do ask for a phone number, but that's optional. Uh, so, you, so the only required information is an email and your first and last name, so that you can be contacted about meetings and things. Yeah, yeah, and we also want to. We also need to. We also want to know, just for our own purposes, where you live. We don't have to have a home address, a street address, but at least give us a town, uh, give us a country, give us a continent, so we know where you are. And yeah, which which also matters because you and I are going to try to be doing these retreats a little more regularly. Right. Which is because it's been so so nice and fun. So if we know there's a group of people near one area, then that's the place we're going to go try to show up and, right. and have a weekend. And we're also we also want to move deliberately and as quickly as we possibly can to a point where virtual meetings are being hosted uh, in every time zone by people who are in that time zone. Uh, so and, that, you know, and if if there are real people, like virtual meetings are amazing, but they aren't as good as actually sitting down right. with real people. So we want to connect you with other people close to you that have some experience. And, okay, this is what a meeting looks like. We know yeah. how to jump in. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's here's the second question I have based on what you said. This is a mutual interview, and I can be rejected by the host of the newcomer meeting uh, what does that mean? What what might I do to get rejected? Is this a hard thing? Is is this an exclusive club? No, 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 no. Mainly, what, what, what we don't we want people who are there for their own purpose. Uh, I don't want a guy coming into Samson to. Uh, uh, first of all, I don't want anybody who's just there out of curiosity. Uh, I, I want to know that somebody has uh, hit the wall that is ready to do recovery and do the work also okay I, yeah, yeah yeah but you don't you don't have to be in crisis or recovery you got, no. you could just be a guy who feels isolated who wants to right. be honest and talk about life yeah. with other men being honest right? I, I i haven't i haven't rejected anybody yet but i just want to make sure that we keep the rooms the virtual rooms as safe as possible Okay, so if somebody's coming in because they want to teach everybody in the room right. new stuff about how to be better Christians, or they're coming to pitch some program or other thing, and that's yeah. why they're there as an advertisement, that's what you're talking about. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. So anyone that comes honestly just wanting to connect with other men, uh, you're, you're in. That's yes. your only qualification requirement. Right, exactly. And and uh, you get a chance to kind of not, – not everybody who has attended a newcomer meeting has taken the step then to join the Samson Society. Most have, but not all have. And uh, But, you know, that's good. It's, you, you're not making – you don't have to make any commitment. You don't have to join the society in order to come and see what it's like. Yeah, that's awesome, especially for those that have never seen a meeting. They hear us talk about it. Right. I know I've seen comments on like iTunes and things where people listen to the podcast, but they've never been to a meeting. Right. Um, so they can they can check it out and see what it's about and not necessarily sign up for uh, for the whole deal. Right. Well, right. good. So they just they need to check the website then to to get that. Click on the link. Get Zoom. It's it's pretty easy and painless, and uh, the technical bugs seem to have been worked out because mm -hmm. it's worked now for these meetings. 
Yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah. There are a few glitches here, and then I'm still not very skilled at the controls, but I'm doing the best I can. And one of the things that you and I need to do, Aaron, uh, sometime in the next few weeks, is we need to create training videos so that we can train others how to host meetings. Uh, it's re- yeah, yeah. So that'll be coming. Uh, also, we we want to hear from you with your questions and comments on the podcast, so we can include your thoughts. Uh, so you can send that to to our Gmail account, right? Pirate Monk Podcast at Gmail dot com, and we'll get it. And that'll be great. Also, if you would like to be a part of a mini meeting, uh, you know, this morning's experiment of trying to grab someone off the street at the last minute uh, only resulted in fleeing people from Nate's uh, office. (laughs) So uh, we will try to arrange that more in the future. So if you send us a note saying I am in this time zone and I would like to be a part of the meeting and I have Zoom, then we will try to fit you in on some of those meetings where they apply. Generally, we uh, record these on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Central Time, so 8 o'clock Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern Time. A.M. A.M. So that would be the time that you would have to be available. Uh, it's, It's hard to say when in that hour we would do it. But anyway, some sometime in there. So if you want to be a part of that, let us know, and we will put you on the list and try to make that happen. No promises, because uh, New Year's is coming, and we're not making any promises. That's we're right. Ref- re- we're only reflecting on our failures of the last year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> it's, been a, it's been a good conversation, and I'm glad we made the snap decision last night to go ahead and record one today. It's been great connecting with you, Aaron. Uh, as always, I love you, brother. I think we've come to the end of the episode, so until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arg. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Cool J with a triumphant comeback.